0: Just keep your Bibles there to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. And I'd invite you to pull out those message notes and just follow along this morning. I'm continuing my series. I started a number of weeks ago through the book of Philippians. It's called the book of joy. And uh, the Apostle Paul says, whatever you go through in life, you can still have joy, no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation. And we've been seeing that in his own life. Put in the prison, falsely accused. And he said, I will rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. Hey, hey Jack, good to see you this morning. Bless you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as I come before you in prayer, I, I ask this morning that you'd help me to share this message. Where we're at in our lives, Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your tender mercies, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we had a wonderful district convention, wonderful times of worship and fellowship and preaching and testimonies and uh, hearing about what's happening here in our backyard and around the world. You're just all part of that, Lord, and we're thankful for it. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Life is difficult and life is tough, I don't have to tell you that. We have trials and we have tribulations and we have things that happen to us. Those of you who still have children at home, how many of you have teenagers? Your kids are teenage age. Yeah, it's it's tough sometimes raising those teenagers. It's tough having kids. And and we have work-related problems, and we have things happen in our life. Children are a blessing, but they're also difficult at times. Uh, did you hear about the guy that was experiencing a real crisis in his life? There was a guy that was experiencing a real crisis in his life. So he decided to call a toll-free psychiatric hotline listed in the Grant County phone directory. Right here. And this is what he heard when he called this line. Welcome to the psychiatric hotline. If you're obsessive-compulsive, repeatedly press 1. <laughs> if you're codependent, ask someone else to press 2. If you have multiple personalities, press 3, 4, and 5. If you're suffering from paranoia, we know who you are and what you want. Stay on the line until we trace the call. <laughs> If you're schizophrenic, listen carefully, and a little voice will tell you which number to press. <laughs> if you are bipolar, it doesn't matter which number you press. No one will answer. <laughs> if you're depressed, push any button you wish. It won't make any difference. Anyhow, thank you for your call. Uh, life life is full of problems, and I don't have to tell you that. Life is full of difficulties. And often we feel like because of these difficulties and because of what we go through, these things can Rob us of our joy and happiness. As I said, we've been in a series to the book of Philippians for some time now, and Paul's theme is joy, joy. Nothing should steal our joy. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, this is kind of like the Apostle Paul's autobiography. This is his autobiography. And the theme that I see in this particular chapter is one of succeeding in life, Now, often when we think of success, we think of money and we think of bucks and we think of beauty and we think of uh, uh, brains and we think of all these things. But when the Bible talks about success, it's talking about really getting to know uh, Jesus Christ better and being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, in this particular chapter of, of Scripture, he talks about success. It's amazing to me that everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to be successful, um, and, and often, isn't it true, you go to those bookstores uh, and you read through that particular section on, on, you know, on success and, and, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. There are all kinds of authors out there, and what I discovered a number of years ago is that just because you write a book doesn't mean that you're an authority on that particular subject. There's a lot of people that write books, but it doesn't mean that they actually know about that particular subject. If, if I want to be successful in a particular area, I want to go to a book, or I want to refer to a person that's actually been, quote, "successful" in that particular area. Um, how many of you years ago watched that movie, "Babe." Remember that little kid's movie "Babe?" All the kids raise their hand." Well. That little piglet was raised on Hoglet's Farm. And the sheepdog, played by, uh, by the name of Fly the Sheepdog, teach, teaches little babe how to herd sheep, a pig herding sheep. I mean, it's just beyond your imagination. You can't imagine it. If you want to learn how to uh, herd sheep, or if you want to learn how to fly fish, or if you want to learn how to do anything in life, you go to an expert. You go to that person that's this authority in that particular subject. Now, who is our model as far as living this Christian life? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But besides the Lord Jesus Christ, next to him, the most successful Christian who ever lived was the Apostle Paul. He was an incredible man, and he lived his life to the fullest, and he made his life count. And in Philippians chapter 3, as I said earlier, we have his autobiography here. And in the first 11 verses, which we've looked at previously, he talks about his past. He talks about his past. In today's passage, he deals with his present and he deals with his future. And from it, we can see a model, you might want to say, on successful living. Paul even encourages us to follow his example. In fact, in verse 17, look at what it says there. He says, join with others in following my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He said, if you want to live a successful life, you need to follow my pattern. Well, what was the the Apostle Paul's pattern that made him so successful and that made him say, you follow my pattern. This is what I want you to do. Well Pauls pattern for successful living first of all is what I consider and what I believe he was teaching here is evaluation. You got to begin with facing your faults, facing realistically where you're at in your life. And this is where you admit that you don't always have it together. This is where you admit that you need to grow. This is where you admit that you need to uh, you haven't arrived that you don't have perfect performance. In our church, we teach that you can have a perfect heart, but there's a big difference between a perfect heart and perfect performance. In fact, I want to suggest to you that if you ever grew up in a holiness church, if you ever grew up in a fundamentalist type of church, if you ever grew up in an evangelical uh, church, over the years I've noticed that there's a lot of people who have a difficult time admitting that they have problems and that they have difficulties in their life. And Paul says it himself. This is what he says in verses 12 and 13. Look at it with me. Look what he says. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have been made perfect, but I press on to take a hold of that which for Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what, toward what is ahead. Now, he's saying this in my paraphrase. I don't claim that I've already succeeded, and I don't claim that I'm having perfect performance. To me, this is the most amazing statement because Paul is an elderly person at this particular point. He has walked with the Lord. He has history with the Lord. He has had tremendous victory in his life. He's seen miracles. Many people have come to know Jesus Christ because of his ministry. The Apostle Paul wrote over half, two-thirds of of the New Testament. He single-handedly spread Christianity throughout the whole Roman Empire, and he made incredible impact on the world. And yet Paul said at the end of his life, this is toward the end of his life, he basically said, I don't have perfect performance. I still have problems. I still have emotional problems. I still have problems with faith. I haven't arrived. I'm still growing. And the point is, is that to be a a, quote, successful Christian, you have to admit that you still need to grow. You have to admit that you don't have perfect performance, that you're developing and you're expanding and you're learning. And here he says... He's an old man, he's in prison, and he said, he said, he's saying, I haven't arrived. Now, I don't know why it is that it's difficult to admit that we have warts and that we don't have perfect performance and that we always don't feel on top of it and that we don't always feel joyful. I don't know why it's so hard. You know, we want to put our best face forward and there's nothing wrong with putting your best face forward and somebody said you don't want to reveal your underwear in public and that's true, but there comes a certain point in our lives where we have to admit when I was raising my kids, they weren't always well behaved. They did things that I did not want them to do. They were ornery at times, and they embarrassed me at times, at times. Now, I would say just like you, they're wonderful kids, but they had their moments. So what do we say? We have problems. We have trials. We have difficulties. Our kids don't always do the things that we want them to do. Our jobs aren't always great and wonderful. We don't always know what to do in certain situations. We just have to be honest about it. Paul is saying, if you want to be successful in this Christian life, in any endeavor in life, you have to evaluate. You have to face your faults. You have to recognize that there are some things about you that don't look really good. Behind closed doors, you're... Mate and your spouse, they know who you are, and and the two may not match up between your public persona and your private life. You have to do an honest evaluation on your life. Uh, um, the the longer I grow as a Christian, the more acutely aware that that of my own idiosyncratic ways. You know that word idiosyncratic? You know what that means, don't you? Our general superintendent. It was so funny because I can relate to this. Our general superintendent, that's the highest elected office in the Church of Nazarene, and we had our district convention in Napa, and he was telling this story about one time when he was preaching and he heard this clipping sound clip, 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 and he said, What's going on? And somebody was actually clipping their nails while he was preaching. One time I had this guy in our church and I was preaching, and he did the same thing. And I was, this is true. After he did his nails, I was waiting for him to take off his shoes and do his toenails. (laughs) See, what you don't know is that we can see what you do while we're up here. (laughs) We all have problems. Face your faults, do an honest about uh, Look at that scripture with me, Proverbs 28, verse 13. Notice it's in the Good News Translation. You'll never succeed in life, there's that word succeed. You'll never succeed in life if you try what? If you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up, then God will show mercy to you. And I will say, if if you try to hide your idiosyncratic ways, everybody, you know, we're all a little crazy. We're all a little nutty. We're all, we all have problems. We have emotions If you try to, you know, successful people are honest about their faults. Did you know that uh, transparency is often a mark of emotional maturity? Successful people admit they, that they have not arrived. Um, I, I was at a, a district convention a number of years ago, and the uh, the general superintendent. Again, uh, this is a different different time, but. You know, while he was preaching, this is what he said, and I'm quoting. He said, I came to the place in my relationship with my wife, I looked at it, I evaluated it, and I did not look what I w- I did not like what I was doing. I did not like what I had become. And God confronted me and convicted me, and I realized that I had to change my attitude and what I was doing toward my wife. And you don't know how many people got relief and help when they heard someone. Say that. I appreciated his honesty. So you've got you to evaluate. You've got to face your faults. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul's uh, pattern for success. The second thing I see in this particular passage of Scripture is what I call elimination. Elimination. You've got to forget the former and you've got to let go of the past. Stop being manipulated by your memories. Look at verse 13 with me one more time. Brothers, I do not commit, consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. I'm not there yet. I don't have perfect performance. I'm striving. My heart's right. I want to do the things that God wants. I haven't taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead. Forget the former. Let go of your past. I like what it says in Isaiah 43.18. Listen to it. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I and doing a great thing. Now, isn't it true that our brain doesn't forget anything? Did you know that? Most of the time, your, your brain doesn't forget anything. You say, well, I'm, I'm very forgetful. But when it comes to the things that you've said or done, that you didn't have perfect performance, you remember those things. They stand out in your mind. You remember your sins. You remember your fa- failures very, very well. So how do I forget the former? Now, to actually to forget actually means... Don't allow the past to affect you anymore. You remember, but you don't allow it to affect you anymore. Don't let it control you or have power over you or manipulate you. Paul is saying, this is what he's saying, I believe, you learn from the past without dwelling on the past, and there's a big difference. You learn from the past without dwelling on the past. But how many people still major on the past and their past failures, and their past failures of other people. It's human nature to for, to 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 remember the things we should forget, and to forget the things that we should remember. I just said something. It's human nature to remember the things that we should forget, and uh, you know to dwell on that, and we should forget them. And not remember the things that we should remember. There are two things, if you're going to follow the Apostle Paul's pattern, that you need to forget. Again, number one, we talked about this Easter Sunday, your failures and your sins, especially if you confess them. If you confess them, you forget them. Because God does. I know a lot of Christian people who rehearse over and over and over again the sins that they committed when they were teenagers, young adults, middle-aged people, all the way up to the present, they rehearse them over and over and over again. They will not forgive themselves. They're holding on to the past. And Satan's favorite desire is to paralyze us with the past, to manipulate us. Paul says, I learn to forget the past. Now, I don't see the Apostle Paul sitting around and beating himself up. I don't see the Apostle Paul using self-condemnation. I don't see the Apostle Paul saying, I'm a terrible and awful person. You saying, well, the, the Apostle Paul was always, the, always a great man. No, he wasn't. The Bible says that the Apostle Paul was the persecutor of the church in his B.C. days. Do you remember what he did? He held the coats for those people that were stoning to death, the first martyr of the church, Stephen. Stephen, a man, the Bible says, full of faith. A man used tremendously to minister of God, win people to the Lord, love people. Miracles were performed by Stephen, one of the leaders of the church, and Paul was right there egging on the people that were stoning Stephen to death before he became a Christian. He was Saul, the persecutor of the church. I don't see the Apostle Paul beating himself up, using self-condemnation, saying that I'm a terrible and I'm an awful person because I, because I persecuted the church, because I helped Christians to be murdered, because I jailed these people, because I persecuted them. He had many regrets that could have haunted him. Listen, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but I want, to, I want you to understand something. You cannot change your past. No tears, no tears, no emotion, no regrets, no self-pity. The past is in the past. And if you confess it before God, it's gone. So what are we trying to do to continue to live in the past and beat ourselves up over and over and over and over again? Let it go. I think the second thing that we need to let go of, I I believe the Bible teaches this, and I think the context of this passage of Scripture is our successes. You say, what are you talking about our success?" You need to let go of your successes. Learn from them, but let go of them, because you cannot live on yesterday's memories. You don't know how many people I run across and they're resting on yesterday's laurels. They're resting on the rear. The good old days, oh, wasn't that great? The good old days. And The older we get, the more we have a tendency to live in the past. You have to let go of your past successes because God wants you to live in the present and He wants you to live for tomorrow. Live right now. Live now. You say, Pastor Ron, I don't have the same stamina and I don't have the same uh, whatever, and you know, my kids are all gone, whatever it may be. You cannot live in the past. You've got to let the past go. You've got to live in the present. And you've got to have tomorrow. And you've got to have hope for your, for your life. You have a lot of living left. Amen. You've got a lot of living left. Amen. No tears, no regrets, no self-pity. You have to let go of the good old days. The good old days are gone. Let it go. The problem with success is that it tends to make us complacent and fills us with pride. And then you stop growing and learning and you're going to fail. I want you to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus, what This is what Jesus said. Anyone who starts to plow, they're plowing their corn, they're plowing their wheat field, and then keeps looking back, it's no use for the kingdom of God. You can't drive a car looking in the rearview mirror. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I've watched farmers work out there, and I can, I can understand the analogy that Jesus gave. I, I'm, I'm, I've got this furrow, and I, I'm driving my tractor down it, and I'm t- with the tiller in the back, whatever it may be, but I begin to try to look around the back and what happens to that steering wheel it begins to go this way. And then if I begin to look this way, it begins to go this way. Nobody's fit for the kingdom of God if you continue to look back all the time. We were made with a head on our shoulders, facing forward instead of backwards. How how difficult would it be all the time to walk around like this? Oh, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have pursued my calling for, to be a missionary. Oh, I wish I would have pursued this. I would, hey, come on now. You can't live in the past. The past is gone. Well, let's go on. The question becomes, what memories do I need to let go of? What memories I need to go, let go of? I think the third thing that I see here is concentration. Concentration. Focus on the future. Notice verse 13 one more time. One, This one thing I do, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Why is it so difficult for Christian people to have goals in their life? And why is it so difficult for people to understand that there's nothing wrong with churches and organizations having goals? Is it unspiritual to have strategies and to be goal-orientated? No, it isn't. Albert Einstein, I heard about him this last week. Albert Einstein was, was uh, voted by Time magazine the man, not only the man of the year, not only the man of the decade, but the man of the, the century. The man of the century. Brilliant physicist, mathematician, mathematician. He taught the la- toward the uh, latter years of his life at, at Princeton University, I believe that's in New Jersey. And he would ride a train into Princeton, and then he would take the train back home up back back in the suburbs. Um, one particular time, he got on the train, and the man that came around collecting the ticket said, uh, "Mr. Einstein, where's your ticket?" And he looked in his pockets. He looked in his coat pocket. He looked in his pants pockets, he looked all around, he couldn't find his ticket. And finally the guy goes, I know who you are, Mr. Einstein. Don't worry about it. A couple of minutes later, the guy the t- tickets came by and noticed that Albert Einstein was still searching for his ticket. He 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 got down in all four and he looked at all four, uh, you know all, all fours his knees and, and he looked underneath the seat, he looked at the neighbor's seat, he, he looked over here, looked into all of his coat pockets again, and he said, He said, Don't worry about it, Mr. Einstein. I know who you are, and Albert Einstein responded. This brilliant man. He responded, "I know who I am too, but I don't know where I'm going." <laughs> so we're talking about concentration. We're talking about focus. Can I just say something? And you're not. This, this may not sell, set well with you, but we're as close to the Lord as we want to be. We're about as happy as we want to be. And it's our choice. I'm sorry, it's our choice. This one thing I do, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. And successful Christian people are goal-orientated. In fact, that that word one in Greek is the word one, and it really means um, an exclamation point I'm focused. I'm stretched. I'm concentrating. Paul says, you've got to find out what counts. He's talking about the power of concentration. And we all know that a river that stays within its banks and that's dammed has all kinds of energy, but a river that overruns its banks has no energy and that cannot be dammed up. We all know that light, diffused, has no power whatsoever. But when you, do, when you focus that light, it becomes a laser beam. Incredible power. And so, you, so there's concentration. Uh, you can't do everything. You can't be everything. Paul says, I, I face my faults. I forget the former. I focus on the future. And that's the one thing I do. I have my goal clearly in mind. I read a statistic, less than 5%. Less than five percent of all Americans ever write down a life goal. Ever, less than five percent. First Corinthians nine twenty four, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to win the prize. Now, what was the Apostle Paul's goal? I want you to listen to what his ultimate goal is. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter five verse nineteen. So we make our goal to please him. We make our goal to please him. There's no more rewarding goal in life than to please the Lord. And Paul wanted to be able to stand at the end of his life and hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The question we need to ask ourselves is, what am I living for? What's my ultimate goal in life? We've all seen and read about those people that have inspiration throughout their life. Remember the young man that was born without arms and he learned to paint and he learned to draw with his feet and holding the paintbrush in his toes. Nobody was going to tell that young man that he could not draw and he would not become an artist because that was his ultimate goal. Pressing on, concentration, focus, goals. The fourth thing I see in this particular passage of Scripture is you've got to fight to finish. You have to have determination. You have to have persistence. Absolutely nothing worthwhile in life happens without effort. The only way uh, that things get done is effort. Paul says, I fight to finish. Great people are just ordinary people with an extra amount of extraordinary determination. I tell people all the time, I feel like I'm, a, I'm an old, plodding workhorse. I'm, I'm not a racehorse, never have been, never will be. I just plod along, I do the best I can. You know, the Bible talks about having three or four or five talents. I'm a one or two talent guy. Ordinary people with extraordinary amount of determination. I want you to notice the terms that Paul uses in verses 12 and 13 and 14. He says, I press on, straining, that's in the, straining toward the mark. I press on to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. You can feel the intensity of Paul here, the determination. Did you know that word press on in Greek literally means I overextend myself. I go for it with all the gusto. I throw myself totally into it. I strain every single ounce and muscle and every single nerve all the way to reach the prize. Here's a guy of intensity. Here's a guy of maximum effort. Now, what would it be if Christian people put as much investment and time into growing in the spiritual life as they do making money are their favorite sports. Acts 20:24. 20, but I reckon my life to be worth nothing to me in order that I may complete my mission and finish the work that the Lord Jesus Christ gave me to do, which is to declare the good news of the grace of God. And this is the Apostle Paul's life verse. You know, I, I, I'm like you. I don't like the word quit. I don't like the word impossible because God, think, God says all things are possible. And we know people that quit their businesses. We know people that quit their marriages. We know people that quit the church, seemingly at the drop of a hat. Their kids, their relationships. And Paul says, I am not going to, what? Quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to do it. I want you to listen to the last words of Paul. They're in the last book that he wrote. 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. This is writing to Timothy. Just listen. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will reward me on that day. More than anything else, I want to be able to say this. When I die, I finished the race. I fought the good fight. I persevered to the very end. How many of you remember years ago... The athlete, I think he was running, uh, what was it, the 800-meter eight, race? I, I could be wrong, but there was this uh, Olympic athlete running for the gold medal, I believe, this uh, Olympic race, and he was right in the middle of the race, and he fell down right on the track. He pulled a muscle in his leg, and he's in obvious pain. He's just breathing on the, on the track. And out runs this um, 60-some-year-old man. And he pulls him up off the track. He wraps his arm around this runner. And he helps him to make it to the end of the race. People were dumbfounded. They were awed. They were shocked. And then they found out that the man who did that was his father, his dad. And his dad later said, My son came here to finish this race. And I wanted him to finish. And he wanted to finish. So I helped him finish the race. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together? Which of these issues do you need to focus on? When was the last time you sat down and did a frank personal evaluation of your life, your marriage, your career, your finances, your relationship with God, your relationship with your kids? Everybody has things they don't like about themselves. But you cannot grow as long as you keep it locked in the closet. Church, just let the fear and the regret and the worry out in the open. The healthiest thing you can do is to have a frank evaluation. Would you just, to yourself, if you like to, would you just pray a simple prayer with me? Lord Jesus, examine my heart. Reveal to me any self-protectionism, any pretending about myself. Show me my shortcomings. I want to grow. I want to change. Just say to him, I want to grow. I want to change. Help me to do so, Lord. Are we continuing to allow the past to control our present? Are you allowing a past memory to control your hurt now? Would you just say to the Lord, Lord, I want to let go of the past. I'm tired of hanging on to past memories, past failures, things i should have done and things I wish that I would have done. and I, I, It gets so burdensome, Lord, carrying around that baggage from the past. I give them to you one more time. Just take them away from me, Lord. Help me to look at them like the way you do. If I confess my sins, you say you're faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to purify me from all life. You remember them no more. Are you trying to dabble in so many things that you can't get anything done? Maybe you need to cut something out of your life and say, this one thing I do, focus on what counts. Or maybe you're tempted to give up, throw in the towel. I'd invite you to pray a simple prayer. Lord, help me to persevere, to see it through. I made that commitment to my spouse. I meant it the day I was married and I meant it now. I mean it now. Through the thick and thin, the good times, the bad times, help me to stay committed to them. Lord, help me to stay committed to you, to your church, to my job, to my children, my parents. Paul says, None of us have arrived. People in this church are people who are on the way. People are growing. People admit they don't have it all together. This is a church where we don't care about your past. We're interested in what direction are you headed right now. That's what matters. Not yesterday, but today. If God only used people with perfect performance... Nothing would ever get done. (laughs) You just look at all those people in the Old Testament, those people in the New Testament. They were messed up. What matters is where we're headed now. What counts now? What direction now? We want to focus also on the future. We have a goal. We have a mission as a church to take the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody within this area. Jerusalem, Right here, John Day, Grand County, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. As long as there's not one person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, we'll continue to focus on that goal. And this is a church where we do not quit. We don't quit on people, and we don't quit on things we know to be the will of God. If you need that help... There's a promise in Scripture. Jesus said, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Strengthen me, Lord, help me. In Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.